First, we're going to look at praying for others. And uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians uh, 1, because I want you to see these verses. And as I said, sometimes um, we like to read around certain verses, and I just want to point out a few uh, verses tonight that will uh, enlighten us about this. And, And again, God can handle meaningful doubt, that is, I would rather somebody have a little bit of doubt and and seek God and seek answers than to have a cocksuredness in error. Okay? So even if you're wrong about being in doubt, you can deal with the doubt. We we used we we've always called Thomas what? He would he never doubted. He just he was a pessimist. <laughs> He, the, the week before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And, and it's in the scripture. Thomas said, well, let's go so we can die with him. I mean, he just was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, he's going to die. We're going to die. I knew this was going to happen. He, he's, he's Eeyore. You know, We're all going to die. Let's go to Jerusalem. Thomas, we saw Jesus. I'm not going to believe unless I see him. And I put my hand on his side, my hand, my fingers on his hand. No, you know, he was, he, he didn't doubt. He just was, no. I, 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 I thought I'd tell you this. I've been, I've been with Janice 30 years. And to this day, when we're going to find a new store or we're going late to us, oh, we got to get there. We go to the store. We hit the parking lot. She goes, they're closed. <laughs> what? Doesn't look like any lights are on. Well, what are all those par- the cars parked there? Not, no, no, no. I think they're cl- Oh, no, they're open. Okay. And I ask her, and, and can I say why you do that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've already thrown you under the bus. Um, no, she, the way she handles disappointment is to set herself up for worse disappointment as possible. So when it's not that bad, it's, it's better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, amen, she said. Okay. See, and I'm the opposite. I'm like, no, they're open. It's cool. Oh, this door's locked. Maybe the back one's open. And I'll go bang on the door. Hey, anybody in there? Let me in. Because that's just how I am. And she's, uh, oh, it's closed. We got to go. No, no, wait, wait. We'll get in. So God keeps us together to balance each other out a little bit. But anyway, so we're, we're going to look at some verse like that. Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, that's not about sin. This is about praying for other people. So here's, my, here's, here's the question I wrote on your paper. What do you know about others? Now, here, here's what I'm wanting you to ask yourself. Or actually, it says, what do you tell what you know about others? Well, that's the right word. <laughs> Who do you tell what you know about others? I saw a sign a few years back now in a, in a store on Chincoteague Island, and it said, face your, fear, uh, face your problems, don't Facebook them. I mean, and, and in this past couple of years with politics and, and different things, man, Facebook, all social medias, all the, all the electronic social medias have blown up, and they're just nothing but negativity. And if you know any little bad thing about anybody, you tell everybody you know. Well, that used to be called the church. No, um, <laughs> uh, you know, churches, not unjustly, some, some churches, not all churches, have got a reputation or have, some churches have had a reputation of, man, if you've got a problem, better not let them know. And so it's created in most churches a falseness where you, you won't come in and t- tell anybody what you're struggling with. 
because of judgment and judgmentalism, I would say. By the way, the Bible doesn't say not to judge. It says to judge rightly. If, if I don't judge my kids, they'll tear my house down. I say that's wrong behavior because it is. So we are called to that, but we're not called to be the judge. We can say, hey, what you're doing there, according to the scripture, doesn't quite jive up. So can, can I pray with you? Can I help you? Is there an issue we can talk about? And that's the way I do it. My alarm is just going nuts. I'm going to have to expose my leg again. I didn't wear my socks that y'all got me. So I'm going to do it over here so you can't see. So the, the question is, who do you tell about what you know about other people? I'm going to quiet you down so you don't do that to me anymore. Mm, uh, yeah, I need to. No, no, I'm teasing. Sorry. Um, sorry. I'm just going to stand here and pretend like... Um, Yeah, yeah. I don't have my phone with me. I promise. Um, so, okay. Wow, I shouldn't have done that first. Um, I'm gonna have to do this again in a second, probably. Um, anyway, so let me change that question. Who should you tell about what you know about others? Yeah, and he's the only one. Because when you talk to other people about other people that don't have anything to do with uh, I, I, Janice let me hear uh, Dave Ramsey, who teaches and, and wrote and teaches the financial piece. Um, y'all probably heard Dave Ramsey out there uh, on TV and radio. So he, he, he does a devotion with his staff, uh, you know, sort of like a, I don't know if it's weekly or whatever, but uh, time to get together. And he was talking about gossip in his organization and how much he hated it and that anybody he ever caught gossiping in his organization would be gone. He said, let me define Gossip, that's when you talk to somebody about something you have no power to fix. Now, you think about that definition for a minute. Isn't that what he said? Did I get that right? When you, when you are talking to someone else about a person or issue that you have no power to change or fix, that's gossip. It means you just like to spread information that, number one, is probably none of your business. Number two, if it is your business, you don't have any right telling somebody who can't do anything to help in that situation. So y'all know the answer to that, right? How you deal with that? Shut up. <laughs> That's it, all right? I hate to say it that way because my wife doesn't like me to be ugly. I saw a hand. Yes, ma'am, Miss B. Um, we have a prayer team here. Amen. And that Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, and it is, and that is, uh, yeah. Many prayer chains have become a gossip chain, and and uh, and you're right. Um, and and you have to be. I'm the, one of the most curious people I know, and I promise you, as pastors, of course, we deal with you guys on a very individual and intense basis sometimes. And so we, I've been with other pastors on staff, and it will be a long time after, but it, that person knows something that needs to be brought that we all should know and need to pray about. And many times what they will say, we had no idea, and they've been dealing with, it, with that person a long time, or we knew and we never talked about it amongst each other. Because we, we've learned, after you've been in ministry a few years, is it's nobody's business. And the wisest man in the world told me this. 
I expect everything I say to be repeated by every person who heard it to everybody they know. He said, that's how I judge what I'm going to say. I was like, hmm, pretty, I was a kid then. I was like, well, now I know what he was talking about. That, that, that people will do that. And I told you this morning, if I say something and three of you tell three people, each, if three people tell one or three people and those three people tell three people, in nine days everybody in Stanton knows. That's how quick that happens. And I've had stuff come back around to me and I go, how do you know that? It's just a weird thing. So when you do that, notice what I put secondly. You open the door that you just shut and invite the devil to go into it. If you're praying for somebody and, you're, and, and then you go and say, hey, I, I, I've been praying for made-up name and a man. Oh, really? What's going on? Oh, didn't you know they? And you say it. You just open the door, let the devil back in to hurt them. Because now that you've you got no control over what that person does. And they'll go out there and t- tell it. And that person, maybe their reputation or their character or something else, uh, uh, will get hurt. And so <laughs> some people just make sure Satan gobbles up all their fruit. That's just a statement. You know, instead, of, you're not content. Um, a Delta team or a SEAL team, especially six, they don't want anybody to know they were there or what they did. They just don't want that. Now, they've got multiple reasons for that. Um, some of them are just their own personal safety. They don't want to be identified who they are. Some might come after them or their family. But they don't want anybody to know because that will limit what they can do in the future. And it's, it's enough for them to know we did a job that was successful and helped our country. We need to be satisfied. I heard a voice. I'll come to you. Um, we, we need to be satisfied that we took something before the Father and he'll take care of it. And then leave it there, let go of it, walk away until God says, hey, I need you to, and then come back into it. Okay, that just makes sense. And you're praying for other people. I heard a male voice in this area <laughs> somewhere weird. Was somebody, were you just saying amen or was somebody need to say something? Okay, maybe I was hearing things. What, babe? Oh, yeah. well, it's not my illustration, uh, even though I've repeated it enough, sounds like it. Um, I had a pastor friend of a relatively large church, and so they had multiple, 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 multiple secretaries. And he said there was one particularly, and he's telling this to, and didn't tell me who, and I have no clue who, um, but he's telling to a bunch of preachers, uh, just as an illustration, he was teaching a class. And he said um, that there was this one particular secretary, it seemed like everybody in the church stopped at her desk to talk, and he caught wind that people were complaining about everything in the church to this one particular secretary. So he asked her in his office. And he said, made up name, because I don't know what it was. Um, why do you think everybody comes to you to, to complain about the pastors or the problems in the church? And she said, well, just because I'm easy to talk to and people can talk to me. And he looked at her and his question was this. Do you know why garbage trucks go to garbage dumps? She said, excuse me? He said, do you know why garbage trucks go to garbage dumps? She said, no. He said, because they will accept their garbage. And if you don't close your garbage dump, it will have been nice having you work with us. And that's how he dealt with that. That was, per- that was pretty strong. But when you allow people to talk to you about other people, you are a garbage dump. Now, I may have quit preaching and gone to meddling. Did you find somebody that's better than me, baby, on your phone? <laughs> okay. She, she's listening to David Jeremiah or somebody over there. I don't know. Uh, I'm kidding. I have no clue what that was. It's probably one of our kids' videos or something. 
Oh, it's your Bible app. Okay. Sure. All right. No. I've done that. Like, oh, what is that? But ah. Sorry. So make, don't don't just give the devil the victory when you've just finished praying for somebody. Don't go out and talk to other people. Talk to the Lord about issues, uh, people, and I mean there there may be a time for appropriately sharing with someone, but you better know that person and know you can trust them. Um, Ephesians two eighteen. Um, I see Katie put everything up on a board for me. That's awesome. Access to the Father through the mediation of the Son with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 says this. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So notice that access to the Father is through the mediation of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Or in His uh, uh, assistance. So when we pray, we need to remember, and we said this a few weeks ago, so I'm re-emphasizing it. The Trinity needs to be involved in our prayers. We pray to the Father. And by the way, you know, I, I had gotten in that habit of saying Lord or Jesus or something like that. And then we taught on that. And then for two weeks after, Jan's not going to pray. We go, I, I mean, Father, we'd have to stop ourselves to, 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 to even pray by the, you know, quote-unquote formula. But... But we are praying, and, and this is the verses we went over in John, we're praying to the Father in the name of the Son with the assistance of the power of the Holy Spirit. And many times you'll hear that in my public prayers, I'll just say something like that. And Ephesians, and so when you're praying for others, that is the, how you go to the Father with that need. And Ephesians 3.14 just says that we kneel before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knee, knees before the Father. And then he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So think about, think about when you're praying for others uh, in this way too. Um, and I'll, I'm, since I'm already picking on Janice, I'll pick on her in a nice way. She is my sister in Christ. She's my wife. She's my best friend. She's the mother of my children. But she is my sister in Christ. All right. I may have another relationship that's not that intense or intimate. That's my brother or sister in Christ. I have a sister. I don't have any other, I don't have any physical brothers. I have no other physical sister. I have one older sister, about five years older than me. She loves me. Don't know why, but she does. I was a, I was a, a stinky little brother, but she, she loves me. And, and the last thing I would ever do is walk up to you and tell you some, I don't know any deep, dark secrets of her. She's, she's a pretty cool chick, but I would not come to you if I did know one and say, you know, my sister used to, or my sister did this or that. I would not do that. Or let me tell you, uh, my sister and her husband, they just are struggling. Would you pray for them? I don't want you to pray for them. I just want to gossip. Why would I do that to my spiritual sister in Christ or brother in Christ? I just, you know, either one. Why would I do that? So think about, think about that. The Bible tells us in Titus, treat the older men and women as mothers and fathers. Treat the younger men and women as brothers and sisters. So, so why would I treat a, a brother or sister in a way because I want everybody in the community to know what they did. It's just a, it, it just doesn't even make logical sense to me. Yet, so many times people do that. And they talk, 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 talk. Okay. Um, but now, <laughs> we're going to get into, into some down and dirty here. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Now, this is before Isaiah had his vision of the Lord. So, I think he was a little uh, meaner here. But uh, it's still there in the Bible. So, we're going to go with it. 
Uh, let me read 15, and then I'm going to read the context. 15 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So back up to verse 12, and you see the run-up to this. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Verse 17 is what we ought to be doing. 12 to 16 is all the stuff, we're, or uh, I should say, 16 to 17 what we ought to be doing. But 12 through 15 is how we messed it up. And it's because of sin in our life. You say, woo, that's tough, but man, I, I'm, I'm not guilty of that. In 1973, this country made the murder of Americans legal. And today, 2,500 Americans were put to death. And they were innocent children. And they did not use an AR-15 or an AK-47. They used a surgeon's scalpel or vacuum cleaner. Now, that's gross, that's, that's blunt, that's, that's horrible. And many women have been caught in a trap and lied to by the enemy and have been emotionally, spiritually scarred going through that. And I'm not angry at them. I, I, I want to help them know that God can heal them and fix that for them. But, the, but here's my point. You ever voted for somebody whose political platform was that that was okay? See, I, I, thought, you were, I thought you were innocent. You say, you can't be a one-issue voter. Watch me. <laughs> I can. I had a preacher tell me that. You can't just be a one-issue voter. I said, that's what I told him. I said, watch me. Sir, sure I can. I cannot support somebody who is for the murder of the innocent unborn. Sorry. Period. If that means I don't vote, and I hold voting as a sacred privilege and honor, and, 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 and a civic uh, duty. But if I got two people that are for that not going to do it now I'm only using that to illustrate these verses shed innocent blood I've never shed innocent blood you sure about that there are things that we do that the results of those down the line that we shouldn't do that the results down the line is tragedy in somebody else's life later and so if it's not a one to one correlation I'm not trying to beat you up But what I'm trying to get you to understand is you don't go to God with pride. You go to God with humility because none of us have done it all right. We've all, you know, uh, this Saturday we're going to have prayer time and, and I'm asking God to show me things to have us pray about in the time of confession as a church. Because Saturday is going to be all about our church, all about Calvary, what God wants to do at Calvary. Calvary is going to worship God. 
Calvary's going to confess Calvary's sins, and Calvary's going to ask God to help Calvary do the job God gave Calvary to do. So I may not, I may get some of that wrong, and so you got to come to help me get some of it right because you know stuff I don't know, and maybe you know something neat we need to pray about, and God will bring you there to pray with us together, even though you may not tell us what that is, you but just come and pray. But but my point is this: if we go to God without humility and without saying, "Lord, we have sinned," what is it? Read Daniel sometime. He read that Jeremiah said, 70 years I'll let you go, and Daniel confessed the sins of Israel and says, We sinned against you. Isaiah, I, live, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Because when he saw the Lord, it hit him what had happened. That's why we start with worship and then go to confession. Because when you see God, you go, Because oh! in the light of his perfection, we see our sin. You see what, you see what I'm saying? But then we don't run away from him. Then we run to him because he's got the cure for that. And, and I can't say that enough. I, I don't want you to feel beat up, but I don't want you to. I want you to understand the scripture is very strong in that we need confession of sin. Um, Hebrews three and four. It's two chapters. I'm not going to read those chapters. I'm not asking you to read those chapters at this time. I would ask you to prayerfully, when you go home at sometime this week. Break out Hebrews and read those two chapters. But read it with that in mind, what I've written down there. Do I have disobedience or disbelief? The only reason I would not do God's will is either I'm open rebellion and disobedience or I don't believe God what he said or both. And and, and, and in Hebrews 3 and 4, he's talking about Moses and the children of Israel in in the wilderness and what and and how God was dealing with His people, and that how Jesus is then our great High Priest. It ends with that He's the one that intercedes for us. But but it, if you think about it in those terms, you begin to see. Wait a minute, I've not witnessed because I don't believe God will use that, or I'm God told me to witness that person and I just didn't do it because I didn't want to or I was scared. That's called disobedience. Being scared is not an excuse. If every soldier who's scared didn't run into battle. There'd be very few of them running into battle because they're all they should. They are all scared. If they're not, they're not human. Of course, they're scared. Nobody voluntarily just runs into the front of bullets. You know, I mean, we saw that a week ago, two weeks ago. We are criticizing some men. A guy's in there with a AK and he's got a pistol and he didn't go in. And we're fussing about that. And then three others came up. None of them went in. They're fussing about that. One guy in shorts and t-shirt ran up to go in because he's motivated. His son was in there. He's going in to rescue. And we look at this and we've got to stand up to the devil. And we go, I don't want to do that. You just take a step back. Wait, that's disobedience. Is God going to be with us? Is God going to solve that or not? Who's bigger, God? or You know see what I'm saying? So when you read Hebrews 3 and 4, think about it. Am I disobeying or do I just don't trust God? I, I just don't believe him. I, I just don't believe what he said is true. Look at Psalm 66, and this is a biggie. You may know about this verse. I, I probably do. A lot of these verses I read, you probably know, but when you read them with this thought in your mind, it really makes them come alive. This is a psalm, and people ask me, does God hear this prayers? There's only one prayer of a lost man that God has required himself to hear, and that is this prayer of repentance, of salvation. Everybody understand that, right? Okay. And I've witnessed to people that, in my estimation, and I'm not God and I'm not the judge, but
But in my estimation, they had no fruit. They, they didn't seem to be a, a Christian to me. They weren't living that lifestyle. But they would say to me, well, God answered prayer, my prayers, man. I know God, he answered my prayers. But yet they, they did not understand what salvation was, they, you know, all of that. And so I'm telling you that sometimes God in his grace and graciousness, the Bible says that the goodness of God would lead us to repentance. Sometimes God's just nice to people hoping and saying, hey, it was good to you. Why didn't you thank me for that? Now, that applies to us too, doesn't it? I'm assuming all of us in here are actually saved. That applies to all of saved people too, right? That sometimes God does stuff for us and we're just like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm his kid, so he does that. Well, why don't you just stop and be grateful for a second, you know? Uh, I, I never liked it when my kids weren't grateful. I, I can't think of a particular example of that. I know Janice has fussed at them for not being grateful enough for me because she's a great defender of me. And here I am throwing her under the bus about the stores being closed. But anyway, um, listen to Psalm 6. So people will ask me this question. Look at Psalm 66, 16 through 20. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And then he says, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. David makes a statement there that if I had cherished iniquity, King James says regarded iniquity in my heart, but that means I've got this thing and I know God's telling me not to do it or give it up and I haven't given it up and I haven't let go of it. God has not heard a word I said when I prayed to him because I have chosen to hold on to my sin instead of releasing it to God. Now, hear how I'm saying that. There may be a sin in your life of which you are unaware that's a whole different thing. God is growing you, and one day he'll go, what about that, big boy? And you go, whoa, never thought about that, and you, you have that opportunity to repent. But if you've got something going on, and you know it's just not right, and you're not willing to let go of it, and, and again, that, and this is, we started with praying for others. This is where the church, I'm going to use this word, this is where the church fails, is when a church is Made up in such a way that if somebody confesses that they are not perfect, everybody's going to get mad at them. One of the little jokes I like to say to bring that home is, we love to criticize people who don't sin like we do. Right? I got an email this week, and if you're in here, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. But somebody that confessed, they wanted to know what our church would say about someone who was living a a certain lifestyle. And I said... I would say that that is sin because the Bible says it's sin. I said, and so is gluttony, and so is adultery, and so is, and I just named a bunch of stuff. I said, so anyone who would be judgmental of that does not understand themselves. I said, I will never tell you it's right, but I will tell you that I will treat you with respect and love and pray with you and ask God to show you himself to you. Basically what I said. Because... Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Jesus didn't come and fuss at all the sinners. He fussed at all the religious people who thought they were better than the sinners. <laughs> There's a song I'd like to play now, but y'all would shudder at the words of that song. But it's about um, how great Jesus was. 
All the, all the, all the Pharisees and religious people rejected him, but boy, all the, all the sinners loved him because he loved them and he brought them to salvation. It's not that God accepts us in our sin, it's that he brings us out of our sin into salvation. But if I am, if, if that is a, and understand the rationale behind this. Sorry, I'm lecturing now. But understand the rationale behind this. Remember, I'll, I'll use a biblical thing and then try to bring it to the modern. Remember when Jesus told the parable about the, about the guy who goes to the wedding and they says, why don't you have the wedding garment? And then he throws them out because he doesn't have a wedding garment. The wedding garment, the definition of that in short is, it's like our paper invitation. Now, I did this wedding this weekend for my son's friend. And nobody had to show up at the door and hand in their reservation. But, you know, there was a day not long past where you had to bring your reservation and be let in. And I'm sure there are still events like that. If you don't have that reservation that somebody sent you, that card that says, yes, you're coming, you can't get in. Well, that's what that wedding garment was. Guess who gave you the wedding garment? The groom. He gave you the wedding garment. Hey, would you come to my wedding? Great. Well, here's your wedding garment. Now, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if it was a shawl or a new outfit. I don't know what it was. And I've, you know, I'm thinking it could have been too expensive. Poor people never got married, but, or you had small weddings. I don't know how it worked, but, but, um, you got the wedding garment from the groom. So you show up at this wedding, the groom looks, I go, who are you? Oh no, you know, I'm, where's your wedding garment? You weren't not, you were I don't know you. And Jesus used that to say, there are going to be people standing there at the marriage feast of the lamb when, you know, or just before that judgment seat. And he's going to go, who are you? Well, do you know me? I prophesied your name and I did all these things. He goes, I don't know you. Where's your wedding garment? Where's my righteousness? Remember, it's, the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus. We don't go in our sanctification, but in his justification. His righteousness is imputed to us. We're going to the wedding wearing his garment. First illustration of that is Old Testament, David and Jonathan. Who was Jonathan. Who was Saul? Which king? First king of Israel. So who should be the second king of Israel? Who's going to be the second king of Israel? Why? Because God rejected Saul and God said, nope, David's going to be the king. And from David, the throne will be forever because David's descendants, Jesus, who yet though he died, he rose again. He ain't going to die again. So he's still on the throne, by the way. You get that drift? So Jonathan has no problem with this. He loves David, right? And he's like, no, listen, it's cool. Here's my only thing. We're, you know, we're all in these wars, and I, I got a feeling I ain't going to make it. But if I don't make it, you take care of my family after I'm gone. You, 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 you treat them like yours. David said, not a problem. What was the sign of that covenant between David and Jonathan? Yep. Jonathan took off his armor. There was only two suits of armor in all of Israel. Saul's and Jonathan's. Because they could not smelt iron, but the Philistines could. So most of the Israelites are running into battle with farming tools. Okay? And, but David, but Jonathan and Saul had armor. Jonathan takes off his armor and puts it on David. What was that a sign of? You're right. But legally, what was that a sign of? It was great love. But what was it legally a sign of? That David became Jonathan. He is the next king. He is the son. He is the son that will inherit the throne. And so, not only the privilege, but the responsibility of taking care of Jonathan's descendants. Which there's another whole story about Mephibosheth, and he does that. Y'all know that story, right? 
If not, go home and figure out how to spell Mephibosheth and look it up. Um, so that illustration comes down in the New Testament. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't go and say, Lord, man, good thing you remember. I, used, I said this before. Good thing you saved me because, man, I'm the, I'm the dude. <laughs> no, I put on Christ. And in Christ's name, I come to the throne. I have taken his identity. I'm identified with Christ because I'm wearing his righteousness. I'm wearing his armor. There's a lot of this all of a sudden coming together that you've always heard. And we just preached on the armor and all of that. All of that is in Christ. Get it? Everything you have as a Christian was one for you in Christ. Everything. So don't, don't lose that. All right. So that's what that uh, Psalm passage was about. Willful sin guarantees God's will not, God will not listen. Look at Psalm 18. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time, aren't I? I got an unsolicited affirmation down here. Uh, actually, I did solicit that. Um, verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. I'm telling y'all, I've just got to stop for a second. David, he knew God in a way that no other Old Testament person knew him, it seems to me. I would not dare say this to God. But David says, he dealt with me according to my righteousness. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by him I can run through a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. What looks like David bragging is not David bragging at all. Who's David bragging on? Yeah, he said, I did this from God. And, and since we're telling Old Testament tales, when's the first time we heard David use this formula? I'll give you a hint. Yeah, Goliath, thank you. Somebody finally said it. And Goliath, he goes in front of Saul. Saul goes, you got to be kidding me. You're just a punk kid. That guy's been a warrior since he was a punk kid. And now he's a giant. And you think you're going to fight him? He said, let me tell you. Shepherd, my dad's sheep, bear came out, lion came out. Tells a story. He grabbed the lamb. I took the lamb out of their mouth. I love this part. I always say it. You need to go back and read it. He did not kill him and take the lamb. He took the lamb and then killed him. That's a man, and he's just a kid. <laughs> and then he killed him, and then he said this, and that uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them, for he's defied the God of Israel. David wasn't fighting for David. David was fighting for the Lord. And in this psalm, he said, according to my righteousness, all this stuff. And then he says, because God did that. Because <laughs> God did it for me. It wasn't that I was righteous. God was righteous for me. So I want you to get, get that Get that sense. The way we live our life, though, affects how we relate to God. You can't just say, well, I'm clothed in the Lord's righteousness, so I can do whatever I want. Because if you're clothed in the Lord's righteousness, what's going to happen? If I clothed myself in an ice suit, what would happen to my body? 
It'd get cold. I don't know what an ice suit is. I just made that up. If I clothed myself in a fire suit, what would happen? I'd get hot. It's going to affect me, right? If I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what's going to happen? I'm going to want his righteousness. Get the point? So a guy that says, oh yeah, you know, he's out there doing every form of wickedness possible. Well, I prayed one time. I went to a Bible school when I was 12 and I prayed a prayer. And so I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I, I can live any way I want. So that's a misunderstanding of forgiveness of Christ. The forgiveness of Christ enables us not to do wrong again. It enables us to do righteous. Not saying perfection, but righteousness. All right. So look at 1 John 2. We're going to come to a very serious time of prayer. I've, I've really got to lay all this great groundwork, and, and then we're going to do that. Look, Listen to verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Grace was never intended to be a cushion under the backside of a rebel. Forgiveness is not an excuse. Forgiveness is a deliverance. I can do whatever I want because God's going to forgive me. Uh, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> because here, here's the deal. When you're, when you're looking... I wrote this phrase down, look at the person's feet, not his tongue. I just wrote, look at his feet, not his tongue. Because the feet tell you where he's headed. And a guy can be professing one thing and walking a different direction. You ever done that? You ever been walking in that direction, looking in that direction? If you do that at Walmart, you're going to be going, oh, excuse me, pardon me. Because <laughs> you're going to run into somebody, right? Or you're going to trip over something. I've, I've tripped over stuff before. Many years ago, about 25 years ago, we had monitors like that at the church. And invitation, everybody, nobody's looking around. It was kind of dark. And I did this, just checking the invitation, checking it, making sure everybody's good. I was a lot younger, too, by the way, in the pulpits back there. Okay. And I got here, and I hit that, and I hit that speaker. And the ones we had were about that high, that high. And I hit it, and I'm going. And I knew I'm going to fall. Nobody's looking. And if I just fall, I'm going to go whoom, down on the thing. So I thought, I only got one way out of this. So I sat down on the speaker and did a karate roll backwards and stood up and looked around. Nobody's looking. But Janice is in tune with me, and she doesn't close her eyes a lot when she prays. So she's on the back row, and she saw me. And the guy next to her kind of heard something, and he looked up, and, and he started whistling the Dick Van Dyke theme. So, because I fell over the thing, because I wasn't looking where I was going. Your feet tell you where a person's head, and, and that comes from football, basketball. You don't look at a guy's face, you look at his belly button. You check his feet, because his feet, unless he's like, you know, some amazing runner, his feet are going to go in the direction his body is going to go. And I like to watch film, uh, old films of old basketball players because guys like Pistol Pete Maravich and Magic Johnson and my favorite Larry Bird come down the court and they'd look this way and pass it to some guy over there that they knew where he was, but they wouldn't look the way they were throwing the ball and they'd fake everybody out. And so when somebody says, oh, everything's great, but their feet are walking away, 
that's where they're headed. And you probably know people that have said, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, while they're walking into sin. So don't pay attention to what they're saying. That's irrelevant. Pay attention to where they're going. 1 John 3, 19. Check it out. Notice he says we don't have to sin, but when we do, we have an advocate with the Father. That's what's good for us. Ned said you'd be perfect, said you could be. <laughs> and when you mess up, you've got someone that'll plead for you before the Father. Uh, 1 John three nineteen, Just to say... By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Discernment is a call to prayer. When we, when we see this verse, look at the verse before it. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. When we love not in word, but in deed. Discernment is a call to prayer, not a call to talk. Not to tell somebody else, not to throw somebody under the bus. It's discernment is a time to go to the Lord and help the person if you can. And I could give personal illustrations, but I've said enough stuff like that. Look at these verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. And I've charted this out for you. And... Um, and Katie tried to make sense of my chicken scratch, and she got it pretty good. So um, go ahead, and you know what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Um, we could basically quote it, but we'll, I'll turn to it just to make sure I don't misquote it. And, and I'll explain this chart. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you may, by testing, you may discern what is, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm going to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and I'll read that to you. You can turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 um, says, do, not, uh, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Say what? I thought you could say a prayer. If you, I said the sinner's prayer when I was 12, and now I can just do what I want until I die and I get to go to heaven. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. You are that temple. Now, let, let, let me ask you, because I know how you interpreted that. Because I just interpreted it that way for you. But what is the greater or more broad meaning of that verse? I understand that our bodies are a temple. But even that. Temple for whom? For God, yeah, for the Holy Spirit specifically. Thank you. Y'all have gotten real good at that. Identifying the part of the Trinity. But we're a temple for God, temple of the Holy Spirit. So what is the church? The body and there we're three or four other things the Bible uses as illustrations. We're a bride, we're a flock of sheep. I haven't said the one I want you to say. We're a building. 
fitted together by the Holy Spirit. He puts every brick where it needs to go. Jesus being the chief of the corner. The foundation being laid by the apostles and the prophets. The church is the temple of God. And if anyone destroys this temple. Oh, I thought it was okay to gossip in church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you, not you individually, all of you. Remember, he's writing this to the first Corinthians who are living in sin. You are that temple. He's writing that to the whole group. This is not the letter to to Jason in Corinth or Johnny in Corinth or Stuart in Corinth. This is to the Corinthian church. So don't come telling me about, well, if anybody drinks or smokes, they're destroying the Lord's temple. But let me tell you what Ida Mae did last week. Now you're destroying God's temple. I told you I was going to get, it's going to get a little tight first. So as a church, we need to go before God and say, oh God, as a church, we have failed to be your witness. We have failed to pray. We have failed. Um, I'll save that for later on a Sunday morning, but that, that is some tight, scary verses, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 6. I hate it when God does this to us. It reminds us of all this stuff that we, should, we want to forget. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. I love coffee. And if coffee ever becomes my uh, um, God, I quit drinking it. Um, I, you've heard me say that I fasted one time for 40 days. Only one time. And it sounds like I'm bragging. I promise you I'm not. I am bragging on God because I, I still don't know how I did that. Um, what, what I didn't tell you is in the middle of that, I started doing that to lose weight. Um, I got it to about 180 pounds. Right now I'm over 160. I gotta, I'm gotta go back down some because uh, I'll keep going the other direction. And, and because, and I was, I had to eat. And by that I meant I had to eat. I would leave work, go to Burger King and get a junior Whopper meal and eat it to go home and eat supper because I don't have a full button. And it's, and it was an obsessive thing. And I got up to over 180 pounds. And the other part of it, I'd, I'd had shoulder surgery. Both shoulders were messed up. And I'm in therapy, and it hurt. And so when I survived therapy, I'd stop and get a banana moon pie and a Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Three days a week. I got big to me, for me. So I said, there's only one way to break this dependency on food, and that's don't eat any of it. So that's what I was doing. So after about 10 or 15 days, I said out loud to my family, my son was 16 or 17, and, but I just said, hey, I, I think I'm going to lose 20 pounds before, you know, 20 days. I said, 20 days or 20 pounds. And my son looked at me and said, I thought you were going to go 40 days. I said, no, I'm just doing this to break dependency on food, lose weight. It's not spiritual. And he said, well, why don't you make it spiritual and go 40 days? I went, okay, you don't challenge me. So I did. And so I got to confess, it was his encouragement that made me go 40. Um, and I found out after 20 days that you figure out you don't actually have to eat. 
Your body will take care of itself until, until you get hungry again, then you better eat. But, but I'm telling you that because this first verse, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So if something has got you so that you've got to do it, that's an obsession that you need to break. Fasting breaks that obsession. When we get to that fasting part, I just want to introduce it to you. There are books on fasting. Maybe I'll find a good title and give it to you. Isaiah tells us what fasting is for. Somebody came and asked me about that uh, one night. And, and I, I forgot the chapter again, 54, 64, something like that. And, but Isaiah says, I, or 57 maybe, I've declared the fast and it's to break the power of the enemy, to break the bonds. And that is one of the reasons for fasting. It breaks our dependency on anything on earth. Take us before the Lord. Well, I, I'm talking too much on one verse. I've got to read a bunch more. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God has, and God raised the Lord and will raise, also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. By the way, if you study Revelation, study the scripture, um, infidelity toward God is called adultery in the Bible. And many times that, that's what he's talking about, but he's using that to illustrate. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have uh, from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We don't like slavery. We don't believe in slavery, but guess what? You're a slave to God. He owns you. Your body belongs to him. So you don't get the right to tell God what you're going to do with your body. And that's something our young people have not learned because we didn't teach it to them. So look at that first chart, and it's up there on the, on the wall too. And uh, on the left, God offered the blood of Christ 2,000 years ago. That is the root of everything we have as Christians. And that was there in Romans 12, 1 and 2 as well. But God, he offered Christ for us on a cross 2,000 years ago. And again, that is the root in our life of everything we get from God, we get through Christ. Reread 2 Corinthians 1 sometimes. As many as may be the promises of God in Christ and him, they are yes. And by him, by the Spirit, we give the amen. We say, so be it, Lord, and we, we live in that. All right, so then going left to right, because of the blood of Christ, God gives me faith, and I experience a conversion, and then I have other experiences in my life, spiritual experiences, times of revival, renewal, new learning, refreshing, all those things, until I come to the present. So all of that together is my personal history. And the only thing that is... Is, is a little out of line because it's hard to do. The fruit is in the now. But the fruit is a result of that history of my life. And that is so small, um, you can't uh, read it too well. Um, but thankfully, I've got my hand-drawn copy. And those two, the root and the fruit, cannot contradict. 
What is the root? Look at it again. What is the root? Jesus. What Jesus did for us on the cross is the root. Now, you have to answer, and don't do it out loud, what is the fruit of that in your life? If the fruit in your life contradicts what Christ did for you on a cross, something's wrong. It's a simple test. Am I loving my wife? Am I tithing? Am I, am I parenting my children? Am I speaking of Christ to those who need Him? Am I encouraging a downtrodden brother? Am I praying? Am I serving? Those are some of the fruits. Am I, do I have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, mercy, all those things, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Or am I living in the sins of Galatians 5, of sexual sin and religious sin and attitudinal sins where I'm fighting at church? And, and uh, that's the one we kind of skip over, so I hit it pretty hard every time. Do, do, I, have, do I have an indulgence in Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee? Yes. Also a sin. I know I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling, but a lot of Baptists say drinking's wrong, and it's usually people that are gluttons that say that. And those are in the same verse. The drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. We love to criticize the drunkard because we like to criticize people who don't sin like we do. So I'm not calling anybody anything. I'm just telling you the root and the fruit have to agree in your life. And all those verses we read, Romans 12, 1, 2, 1 Corinthians 3, and 1 Corinthians 6, are about we belong to God, and the fruit of our life should match the root of our life. And in fact, it does. So that's why if the root's different from the fruit, you've got a problem. You with me? We, we, we bought a home, moved into it. It's got an apple tree. I do not expect to get oranges off that tree this year because the root's an apple tree. So I'm going to get apples. I don't know if they're edible. I don't even know what kind, but I know it's an apple tree. So there may not be any apples on it because it may not get, I don't know. But I'm just telling you, it's an apple tree. If it makes any fruit at all, it's going to be an apple. If you're making any fruit at all, it ought to look like Jesus. I'm, I'm, you getting it? Okay, so what do you do with it? I've done all that to bring you to this next chart. How do you handle that? Are you rebellious? And any time you start talking about sin and forsaking sin, people cry out for their right to sin. But God will forgive me. But it, it, I, don't think, I don't think God takes that that seriously. That, that's between you. Show me a man intended to be a carnal Christian, I'll show you a rebel. A guy that's not sold out to Christ is a rebel. That's a, that's a strong statement, I'm, and I'm, do, I'm doing this. I'm not doing this, I'm doing this. A man that, is, I, I, I'm going to do this thing, and I know God doesn't like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a rebel against God's will. So the fruit is not matching the root, and that's trouble, that's wrong. So if I see that, then I need to do what you see here. And it looks kind of silly. It looked even sillier when I drew it. But that is your personal sin puddle in the bottom left corner of that chart. The word sin is in that puddle. And it's supposed to look all nasty. You can think of it as a sewer pit, as a, as a, as a uh, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, septic tank, yeah. You can think of it as a septic tank. 
Um, I read this because I, I read strange things too. And there was this thing, um, the most weird ways people ever died. And this queen or something fell into a sewage pit and drowned there. They said it was like quicksand. I, I could think of no more horrible way to die. So that's about what I think of a sin puddle. I only said that even though it's gross. You see the guy, he's kneeling toward the cross. Because, and, and I didn't make this very clear to Miss Katie, so don't, don't be mad at her. But notice it says, which way are you facing on the next page? That's supposed to go with this chart, okay? So just understand that. Which way are you facing? Um, you can put the chart up there. The, 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 the guy kneeling toward the cross. Now, let me show you why it's drawn that way by showing you how we do it, okay? Um, there's a cross up there. And let's pretend since they are black and these are good monitors, there's nothing wrong with them. But let's pretend these monitors are my personal sin puddle. So here I am and I'm trying to follow Christ, but there's my sin. And sin pulls me, doesn't it? You remember the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the Lord I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it, chain it for thy courts above. Chain, seal it for your courts above. So we're pulled over here and there's Christ. So here's how we do it. Um, somebody name a sin. Everybody's scared. <laughs> I don't want to name one because you'll think it's mine. And that's why you're thinking. Tell me what your neighbor's sin is. <laughs> lust. Somebody said lust. Okay, good. So there's my lust right there. And boy, that lust looks good. And Lord, I know, you know, I know I shouldn't lust, but you see, Lord, I lusted. And this, and this is even when we mean to do well, we go, Lord, I, I lusted. Lord, look at my lust. Look, look what I did. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I did. Lord, can you believe I did that? That lust. I mean, I didn't, you know, I really didn't mean to, but oh, it, it was horrible. Ooh, it's, ugh, it's smelly and sticky and it's, it's horrible. And I get so close to it, I fall back into my personal sin puddle because I got close to it. Here's how you deal with sin. Lord! Run away from it. Get to the cross. That's why he's kneeling toward the cross. You don't... Sorry about the chairs, y'all. I didn't hurt any of them. Somebody's going, I can't believe he jumped on that chair. Um, we, we tend to look at our sin instead of looking to the cross. And the more you look at your sin, took a motorcycle class to get a motorcycle license... Greatest statement they made. Look where you're going because where your eyes are, where the motorcycle is going to go. You get to the edge of the road and you're about to go off. Look up at the horizon where you want to go. The bike will ride itself because your body will follow your eyes. Man, I need to run more. I got wind of doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to jump in there. There's water in there. I was like, whoa, don't go in there, Stu. Um, anyway, so I want you to catch that chart that you don't repent by going to, you should name your sin by name. I think when you repent, you say, Lord, I've got lust in my, but I got to be looking at the cross going, Lord, I got lust in my life. I don't even want to look at it. I don't, I don't ever want to see it again. And I look to the cross because that drove those nails in those hands. That put that crown on his head. That stripped his robe so he hangs there ashamed. That put all those lashes on his body. That caused him to bleed and suffer and die. 
So why would I look at that? I need to look at him. If you're going to repent, repent toward the cross, not toward your sin. Because I want you to see this next chart. And the words, which way are you facing, shouldn't be on there. That was for the other chart. So I apologize for that. That's my problem. What's on the bottom is the question for that chart. Here's what happened. You see, the very first one is the showdown with sin. So I realize that I am having lust in my life. And by the way, lust is not just sexual. I can lust after a Porsche 911 Turbo Carrera. I can lust for a Ford F-150. I could lust for a certain gun or a certain cake or a Krispy Kreme donut. Lust is the desire for something God told me I couldn't have. All right, that may, you, there may be covetousness, but... So lust is, an, uh, is a desire for something... I want to fulfill my desire in an ungodly way or a way God didn't let me have. That's all lust is. So it could, the object doesn't matter. So I realize I have lust. So I turned to Christ and I said, Christ, I've got lust, but my lust puts you on the cross. And I'm, I'm kneeling. I'm just not going to kneel right now. And I'm kneeling and I'm saying, Lord, my lust puts you there. And, and I belong to you. I am not the child of Satan that I would do that. I am your child and I should not do that. And so I come to you and I thank you for forgiving me of that sin. I thank you that I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and I belong to you. And I turn my back on this sin. I repent. God, Lord, I, I've never, I don't want to do that again. Deliver me from the grip of this sin. In Jesus' name, Father, may your spirit, Jesus, be poured out on me. You said that the spirit was given to you to pour out on us. And I pray that you refill me, refresh me, renew me in the Holy Spirit. So that's the showdown. That's, that's that first little block there. That's the guy praying away from his sin puddle and praying a prayer of repentance to the Father. And I just got up here so I can see y'all better. The second block, the guy's walking in freedom. I, I get forgiveness and I'm like, woo, yes, amen. Man, I am free. That don't even, that don't even tempt me anymore. I am, I'm free and I'm just having fun and the Lord's will. And I go, I thought God got rid of that. What's that doing there? Did you buy some of Victoria's Secrets? Because we got a catalog in the mail. Huh. But I've repented. I shouldn't do that. I'm in a place of testing. I start to struggle. And I go, well, nobody nobody will see if I just look a little bit. Back into my lust puddle. Okay, here's the question. When did he fail? Don't, if you know the answer because you've heard me say it before, please don't answer. I want people to really think about this that never saw that, thought about it. Where is the place of rebellion? Uh, out for those. Did he rebel at the showdown, at freedom, at test, at struggle, or at falling? Y'all are too good. The place of rebellion was at the place of freedom. Because when he was free, that's when you start building a wall. So you can't see that. So you can't get to it. The wisest man in the world said, I want a really high wall with broken glass and barbed wire on top. You build a wall between you and that sin. You, you go and say, Brother Doug, man, let me, you're a faithful brother. Let me just tell you, I've been having trouble with lust and I'm doing it this certain way. I want you to ask me every, I want you to call me every Monday at 10 o'clock and ask me, how am I doing in my lust problem? Because I can trust you and I know you're not going to tell anybody. 
And so you're just going to call me, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you every struggle I had every time I did that so that you can help me and pray with me. And I'm going to be accountable to you, and I know that you're going to, you know, you're going to pray hard with me. You're going to call me on the carpet. You're going to keep me accountable. So I've got to answer to you. Okay, I'm building a wall. I go to my wife and say, honey, I'm, i got to confess to you. I have, I have been cheating on you in a lustful way by lusting. And I've violated our marriage vows by lust. And I go and I tell her. And she's broken hard. She weeps and cries. And she says, but I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to start asking you, how's it going? And I know i got to answer to her. And I put software on my computers and phones, which I have on mine, that every week she gets a report of everything I look at on my computer or on my phone. So she knows. And I build a wall in my time of freedom while I can. So when the desire comes, I know I hear it too. So when the desire comes, I've got some strength to keep me away, to help me. And rebellion happens because in freedom, we, want to, we fool ourselves and say, oh, I won't do that again. You, I, 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 I'll encourage you to do this. Watch, watch um, is it Dateline? Where they always show the, you know, the guy who killed his wife. Stories. Uh, we were watching one last night. Uh, don't ask me why. We just do. Stupidity, she said. Um, <laughs> and if you think that's sin, I'll go ahead and confess it to you. I'm, I'm going to make this thing where it won't do that anymore. Um, so we're watching this thing, and the guy was cheating on his wife, and uh, and he contracted out to have her killed, and she got shot, but it didn't kill her, and then it all came out. So when she didn't die, and he knew he was caught, he he tells the he tells the cop, "Well, listen, I." I have an alibi, but I was with my girlfriend. So then he goes to his wife, laying in the hospital, been shot in her left eye. She's missing her left eye, shot in the head. The bullet went to her sinus cavities, went down her throat and lodged in her lung and didn't kill her. They got the bullet out. She survived it. I know it sounds horrible, but that's what happened. So he goes to her hospital room. She's laying there and he goes, I've got to confess you. Because she said he'd been acting funny. And he goes, I've been having an affair. But honey, that's over. I promise you it's over. Whenever you catch a man cheating and he tells you it's over, he's lying. That's my assumption. Because it don't get fixed that quick. It takes time and it takes accountability. Okay, now I'm just talking about how to deal with that. So let me get off that because I'll be fussing in a minute. So set up a how. You, you put alarms in so you feel tempted. Ring, 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 you know, and you just like, oh no, sin, 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 God, God. And you just, you run away from the sin, you run to the cross. That's how you have confidence in prayer because you know that you're not hoping. What did, what did, uh, is it Corinthians? Where Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I know a lot of old illustrations, but most of y'all in here are old like me, so I'll, I'll chance, chance it. I'm just teasing. Um, actually, I read some story one time. Um, this, this daddy told his son on the way home from school not to stop at the swimming hole and go swimming. And when the little boy got, got home, he was, his pants were wet. And he said, your pants are wet. Did you go to the swimming hole? Yes, sir. He said, did you go skinny dip? He said, no, sir. I wore my bathing suit under my pants just in case I was tempted. <laughs> well, thank y'all. Y'all laughed at that. That's good. 
Is that not what we do? That's what he meant when he said, make no provision for the flesh. Well, I'm going to turn away from my sin, but just in case, I'm going to leave this little crack, this door cracked. We know we've not truly, truly put it away. We leave the door open, so I may walk back in it. And, and listen, uh, that's why, you know, the kids selling donuts is the worst thing happening to me because the only way I will not sin with donuts is not have them in front of me. I'm just telling you. Um, so we, we just have to do that. So turn back from the sin, face the cross. And then at that test, it is too late. The place of rebellion, we've got to turn to the cross immediately. When you ever had a cat, I, I've had cats before. And you, and you have a cat and the birds are at the bird feeder and you let them out. Oh man, they make noise. They start howling. Uh, or somebody said, when the, when the big dog barks, go see what it is. Little dog's going to bark at anything. Big dog when he barks. So you make sure that big dog's barking. James 4, 7 is, is part of the solution. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Notice the condition. You must submit to God. That's, that's what we've been talking about. How do you get to the place, first of all, of truly submitting to God? I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. So I submit to the Father. I don't even belong to myself. So I don't have a right to do with my body and my life what I want. I've got to do what you want. And so I hear that from God, and I order my life around His will. And when I'm tempted to walk away from that, I resist the devil and he has to flee in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not out looking for the devil, but, but trust me, he's out there. And you're going to run into him or at least one of his workers. And you better be walking with the Lord if you're going to do spiritual warfare. Because if you're going to get off the stool, that champ's going to knock you out. All right. Let, let me uh, kind of. Yeah, I can I can finish, I think. First um, Peter three, seven. Likewise, husbands, love, live with your wives, love with your wives also. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So when I don't live with my wife in an understanding way, my prayers are hindered. Look at verses 11 and 12. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. Check this out. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now that's talking about lost people. But as a Christian, if I'm doing evil, that verse says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But his eyes are on the righteous. So if I'm walking in Christ's righteousness, if I'm walking in the spirit, I've got the eyes of God on me. And in fact, Jesus said, I think it's in Matthew, that when he's talking about the children, he said their angels are always beholding the face of God. And, and it's the sense that the guardian angels of children are a stronger class of angels. I mean, you think about your childhood, but back when we could actually have one. It's a wonder I'm alive. <laughs> but my guardian angels, you know, were beholding the face of God. And so if I am living righteously, God's watching out. When things are not right where you live, they're not going to be right anywhere. And then quit the sin if you want God's eye and ear. Confidence is found in Hebrews 1. The judge is on his seat. I, I talked about this already. So there in Hebrews are the, are the verses. Number one, in, in Hebrews, I won't read these. 
Um, and Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, is, is he's on the throne. He is the judge, okay? Um, that's where it says, uh, well, I will read it. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed. The heir of all things, through whom he also uh, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he sat on his throne. He's become the judge. The next set of verses, Hebrews 2, 8, and 9, he's the king. And those verses say, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Sorry, I started in 9. 8. Putting everything in subject under his, subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while, and it goes on. So he is the king. Everything's been put under his feet. And then in Hebrews 5, uh, 1, 4, 5, 10, 7, 25, is the priesthood of Christ. He is the great high priest, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. He, is the, he has no father or mother. He has no end of life. He, uh, we, we give him glory and honor, and he is our high priest. Let me read for you, then, Romans 5, 10. For, in a, for if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So since we are saved, we already are halfway there. When we sin, we get it. I'm not supposed to do that, and we, and we run to repentance. It's not coming from lostness, i got to be saved again, but from a point of salvation, and I've fallen in my sin puddle. Let me get out of that and run to Christ. And, and Christ, the judge is seated. Christ is going to take care of that. And, he, and Romans 5.10 lets us know... That if while we were enemies, he reconciled us. Now that we are his children, his sons, his brothers, of course he loves us, going to come to our aid at need. The session of Christ, though, is supposed to mean the cessation of your sin. That Christ is now on his throne and he is judge, he is king, and he is priest means we don't, we're not supposed to live in sin anymore. In Hebrews 8, 1, and I'm going to go back to it. I've spent a lot, a lot of time explaining this stuff, and I hope I made, I got it across. The po- now, the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Um, there's a positive mediation of Christ through his life. In, in Timothy, uh, it, it's not listed here, but in Timothy it says, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the man, Jesus Christ. Christ is actively mediating... For us with the Father. In 9.24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. Which are copies of true things. But into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I wrote. Know the difference between expiation and propiation. When, when, the, ju- when the priest used to offer. That was expiation. God set sin aside for a time. But he paid for it in Christ, and that's propitiation. Christ paid the price by his own blood, and his blood has paid for our sin. Propriation, someone paid the bill for me. Expiation, 
that I have offered an offering of faith that God just says, okay, I'll put that aside until the price gets paid later. We, the, the, the men of the Old Testament were saved the same way we are by faith in God, but the way God dealt with their sin was to put it on layaway. And no man could make the payments. Jesus had, well, Jesus as a man had to make the payment, but Jesus had to make the payment for us. Do you catch the difference? So I can't give enough to church. I can't pray enough. I can't preach enough. I can't read the Bible enough to pay for my sin. All I have is Christ. Again, it's a great song. All I have is Christ. Uh, that's a good song. I, I wish I could sing. Um, Hebrews 10, 12 to 13, uh, which we've read before. Let me just remind you of it. Um, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. There's one offering and then his enemies are put under his seat. You don't go back over and over and over and over again to get forgiveness. You are forgiven. You go back to restore the relationship. You run away from sin and to the cross. And then Hebrews 12, 2, again, the seating of Christ. Um, and 12 is following 11, the thing of faith. And I'm going to start at 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us uh, so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, have you noticed all these verses? It's about the seating of Christ. I told you before, let me say it again so you get the point. You're in the courtroom, all rise, the honorable judge so-and-so presiding. Judge walks in, he sits down, and the bell says, now you may be seated. When the judge sits and Jesus sat down, it means he, he means it means he has dealt with our sin. So now, the fruit of our life, we're identified with Christ. He's already dealt with our sin, so we no longer live in our sin. We have the forgiveness and we have the power to overcome. So the confidence in prayer is this. Don't try to pray and hold on to your sin at the same time. Repent of that sin and come to Christ. Now, from these charts, and our time by the clock is two more minutes. Um, so that's not enough time. But seeing those charts that I went over and all these verses, just bring it down to the, to the basic level. And in your own heart and life right now, where in your life, and you don't have to tell anybody sitting around you, this between you and the Lord. We're just going to pray quietly in our hearts. And I'll tell you what, I will start praying. And when you're done praying, you can leave. By the way, uh, we did not get any new prayer reports or requests uh, this week in time to print them at least. If you're going to send one in, try to send it before Thursday at noon because Ruby leaves at 2. And she doesn't come back on Friday and she does that for us. So uh, if you want to send it, you can still send them to me and I'll send them to her if you want to send them straight to her. Just say for the prayer class and put it in there and she'll take care of it. But you can send it to me too. But we'll, in a moment, we'll just stop and we'll pray. And I don't want you to concentrate on your sin puddle. I don't want you to pray with anybody else. I just want you to get before God. And if you're sitting there going, I'm not sure what my sin is, guess at it. You'll probably guess right the very first time. But if you really don't know, say, Holy Spirit, show me. In the name of Jesus, show me my sin. And as the Holy Spirit begins to open your heart and your mind... Maybe you want to worship God a minute before you do that. 
God who knows all things, who sees in the darkness and whose eye is ever upon his church. Lord, reveal to me my secret faults, my sins. And then do business with God about that. Forsake it. Put it away. Repent of it. Turn to the cross where Jesus paid for it. Ask that he refresh you and refill you and renew you in the Holy Spirit. You don't belong to Satan. You belong to him. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist Satan. Cast him out of your life and your situation. And in the freedom that you experience, begin to build walls of hindrance to sin as you open yourself up to Christ. When you're done praying, maybe you don't want to pray now. You're free to go. Stay as long as you want. But we'll just exit as we're done. And I'll just hang out till everybody's outside.